Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another LGBT Wellness Roundup. It's been a while. We've been taking a bit of a summer break, so we're excited to have you back here to share some new pieces with you. As a reminder, in case you've forgotten during our little break, uh, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find a written version of the roundup that has links to all the stories we're about to discuss. Let's jump into our first one, Generational Differences in LGB Health. LGBT Health published a study looking at three generational groups of sexual minority adults. It found that the youngest group uh, was physically healthier than the older groups, which is more or less expected given uh, how our physical health changes um, as we age. However, the study also found that the younger group had worse mental health than the older groups. That finding is concerning, especially given how mental health issues can compound as we age. Um, So, you know, the fact that people um, in the younger age group have worse mental health could mean kind of lasting uh, impacts for their health over the course of the lifespan. The study found no differences between the age groups in terms of substance use or positive well-being. So really, it's that mental health component that kind of jumped out um, as, you know, the, the more concerning or surprising finding from the study. Next up, LGBT concerns with advanced care planning. JAMA published a study exploring why LGBT people might be less likely to conduct advanced care planning, which can provide instructions in case they're incapacitated or need end-of-life care. LGBT people were more likely than non-LGBT folks to say that they did not conduct such planning because of experiences with healthcare discrimination or because they simply did not see a need to do planning. Qualitative results also showed concerns with their identity being disclosed to others and with their instructions not being followed by the appropriate parties. And now our next story, 1.7 million at highest risk for monkeypox. CNBC reported that 1.7 million sexual minority men in the U.S. are in the group considered by the CDC to be at highest risk for monkeypox. The government has so far delivered 600,000 vaccine doses, which is enough to vaccinate 300,000 people because it's a two-vaccine regimen. That's about one in six of the number considered to be at highest risk. The 1.7 million people in this risk group are uh, sexual minority men who are living with HIV or have been using PrEP for HIV prevention. Now, it's important to note that neither of those factors has been uh, found to raise a risk for monkeypox, but um, it's, it's because of you know the overall um, profile of these groups that the, that statistically make them at higher risk for monkeypox. So, um, you know, important that as we go through all of these um, findings, you know, we're using this information to inform people, but not to increase stigma. For example, there's no reason not to go on PrEP. Um, if that's something that you want, it's not putting you at higher risk for monkeypox, just that that group statistically is at higher risk. Um, and given the, the, the lack of vaccine doses, um, you know, trying to figure out who is, is a priority for outreach um, and support is, is necessary when there's not enough to just vaccinate everyone. So um, a lot of news happening in this area, of course, and something that we'll be keeping an eye out here on the Roundup. And now our next piece, limits of protective laws. 
The International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health published a study which did not find that LGBT people in states with more protective laws face less discrimination or victimization. In fact, people who consider themselves to be gender expansive faced more discrimination and victimization in places with protective laws, and the same was true about sexual minorities with respect to discrimination. The study shows that protective laws are just one step in reducing discrimination and victimization, uh, and that more action is needed um, even in states with favorable policies to make sure that, uh, that this is not happening. The research was conducted using data from the Pride study, which we have talked about often here on the podcast, and which is open for LGBT folks to sign up and contribute information about your health so that more studies like this can take place. And now our next piece, telemedicine can advance LGBT health. Health Tech explored how telemedicine is helping to expand care for LGBT individuals, especially those who live in areas without providers knowledgeable about LGBT health. The issue is particularly important for transgender adults, as most providers do not uh, receive significant training in gender-affirming care, and it can be especially difficult to access outside of major urban areas. The article also provides suggestions for making telehealth services more LGBT-inclusive, which include ensuring that correct names and pronouns are noted or are displayed um, during the, the session, as well as addressing any privacy concerns, which are often you know, heightened for LGBT folks. One, for example, is for, for you know, youth in particular who are trying to access services, often don't have a private place to be able to make telemedicine um, calls. So that's one thing um, you know, for, for providers to be thinking about as we navigate fairly new terrain coming out of the post-COVID policy environment. And now our final piece of the week, study refutes contagion theory. NBC News reported on new research finding that transgender and gender-diverse youth are not identifying as such merely from quote-unquote social contagion, in other words, being exposed to more youth who identify as um, such, Um, as society becomes somewhat more accepting. The study refutes a 2018 one that suggested adolescents assigned female at birth in particular were merely succumbing to peer pressure. Um, This was a study that did not even include trans or gender diverse youth themselves. It just asked their parents and reported based on that, which anyone who has worked with trans youth or pretty much anyone who has been a a youth in general knows that we can't just rely on um, parental views to understand how someone is identifying. So this study, um, you know, basically looked at the data and uh, found no evidence whatsoever to support that theory. MIT Technology Review also recently weighed in um, to cover all the harm that was done by the original study. And on that little responsible research note, we will end this week's edition of the LGBT Wellness Roundup. Again, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find the written version and check out any of those stories for yourself. And I hope that you will tune in next week for another edition of our Roundup.